You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Maps. Now, Onyx is one of those must-have pieces of hunting gear. Now, it's not a physical piece of hunting gear. It is an app that you download to your phone, and it allows you to view topographic maps, digital imagery, and it allows you to leave waypoints and basically breadcrumbs and collect data of all the properties that you hunt. So real quick, this is how I used Onyx uh, this year, specifically on my South Dakota hunt. So we knew where we needed to glass. So we we had camp. That was a waypoint. And in the dark, we had to basically walk 1.3 miles in the dark in terrain that I had never been in. And when you can have a map up on your phone and basically put together a strategy of the path of least resistance to that glassing point, I was able to navigate better in the dark. Then once we got to our glassing point, the sun came up and we started seeing deer movement. I was able to then put together another plan of how to get from the glassing point to the location where we started seeing deer. And the entire time I was documenting that hike. Hey, there's some water here in case I need it. Hey, here's where I saw a mule deer here. Here's where I might want to glass the next day and just basically documenting everything and allowing yourself to have the most information at your fingertips and it's just one of those things that I think is uh, has has no value because it's so important and uh, Onyx does that and the best part about all of it is you don't need 4G to use the app right you can save an app or save a map to the app and then you can use your phone's GPS to navigate that map. And uh, again, just a really awesome piece of equipment that I would recommend to any hunter, whether you hunt 40 acres of private or on 33,000 acres of uh, public, uh, there is a function for every hunter. So if you want to find out more information, visit onyxmaps.com or visit the App Store and download today and when you purchase enter the discount code nation 20 n-a-t-i-o-n two zero and all first-time users will save 20 percent welcome to the land and legacy podcast we're your hosts adam keith and matt die this is your number one resource for all things land if you're interested in conservation habitat management hunting strategy and rural real estate this is the podcast for you back guys to another land and legacy podcast man we're rocking and rolling through january can you believe 
it's like the third week of January already. No, can't. I can't. I, I, I really don't know. I, I, I seriously was thinking about it the other day. I was like, I, I feel like we were just celebrating New Year's. Like it was, it was, yeah. it had to have been last week. But that's like, that was like three weeks ago. That's scary. Yeah, yeah. Here's here's one for you. So I'm in, I'm currently in Indiana, and uh, Matt, you're in Missouri. Yep. I'm consulting. You just got back from a trip to Ohio, West Virginia. Uh, I've got my little stretch of consults lined out here, and started out in. Uh, started out in Missouri then I went to Illinois now I've got two in Indiana and um you know Missouri was chilly Illinois was just brutally cold yep. not brutally cold but it was it was definitely cold um been in far worse but been in much better um and then at the same time here I am in Indiana and uh today walking property it started out we were walking in the rain whatever no big deal but uh, when I was driving in, um, driving out here this morning and then tonight or this afternoon, driving back into town, the sun was kind of shining. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of fields cover crops, so big applause to those to yeah. those farmers, a bunch okay. of cover crops, and they were bright, bright green. And it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I could look at those, and there's a little bit of spring shining in that green <laughs> green field. <laughs> there, there's, a, there's like light at the end of the tunnel, let's say. You know – yeah. It's it's always refreshing, and I, I'd say most of the year since I've moved out here to the Midwest, um, usually Christmas to New Year's to late winter, I'll have a chance to go back and, and visit family You know, at some point. Um, but isn't it kind of weird after living and spending most of your winters in, let's say, Missouri, Oklahoma, Kansas, Iowa, North Missouri, um, Illinois, surrounding states like that, when when you go to those areas and there is life and there is greenery and there is um, forethought and, and soil management and farming practices and everything, isn't it awesome yeah. to see? Wow, there's life. There's green. Like, th- like this is encouraging. I I'm happy to see this. I love it. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and you know, it, the wildlife take take hold of it. I mean, two of the big game, the two of the biggest game species that we all chase turkeys and deer and you find those cover crop fields. It's like right before dark. So tonight I was driving back into town an hour before dark, maybe 45 minutes and deer were just running around or deer in cover crop field. And it's mm-hmm. like, I could hop over or go to where I was yesterday uh, in Illinois, where everything was just chisel plowed under and be like, <laughs> I don't know what they're surviving on, but they're not yeah. doing very good. Yeah. They don't absolutely. have much hope. No doubt. Um, were was it just straight wheat? So there could have been like commodity winter wheat uh, fields. Honestly, or? it kind of looked like cereal rye. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, this was cool. stuff that was planted late. Uh, Got you it. Know, crops coming out sure. in October, and so there's not a huge window, but there's definitely green there's still growing. Something, so, right? Yeah. So it's it was it was great to see. Yeah. Well, before we get into today's podcast, we probably ought to kind of run through some of these uh, next few events that we're going to be at because I believe registration opened for the QDMA Whitetail Week, and that's going to be the 12th through the 15th of March down at their headquarters. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty pumped to get down there and see that place. 
Oh, for sure. Nothing like going somewhere in March and talking about deer right before turkey season, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> Honestly, I'm, I'm, we'll, we'll probably be uh, glad to get a little bit. It'll be like starting spring down there when when we're oh for sure um, when we're in that portion of the country. I'm like, hey, I, I'm well. There, I there's going to be places it. already turkey turkey season already be yeah. opened up in some of those places. Absolutely. Uh, just stupid it's just crazy crazy <laughs> and i don't mean that like it's stupid that they're open that early it's just like oh my Hard gosh like Hard seriously like life life goes so fast oh, so, um, so fast it, you know each season goes by in the blink of an eye each year blink of an eye just before you know it you're you're looking back on your life it's just crazy it's just crazy yeah but well, I um, I was I just started last night just from a a planning sta- standpoint, kind of putting that uh, presentation. We're one of the presentations we're gonna do down there together, and I was like, ah, oh, this thing is gonna be fun. This is this is gonna be cool. I can't wait to get out there and and kind of present and get that information. Which one um, out there? The basically usable space for for whitetails and kind of quantifying that and just kind of putting real numbers to actually what is being done on a property so someone can see just how much improvement that they're doing. That one's yeah. going to be cool. It's going to be light bulbs for people. So hope you guys will join us down there. Um, registration's open online at QDMA.com, so be sure to check it out and get registered. I know there's going to be a lot of other cool people uh, down there presenting as well. Um, usually a good turnout for, for their events. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm excited for it. Get down and I think I was in uh, I was in Georgia. I was in southwestern Georgia in March last year, I believe. Uh, it might have been late February, and it was like already starting to feel like spring, mm-hmm. hardcore. So, yep. You know, and then you drive back to Missouri, and it's like, Bitter oh, cold. we still have another month of this. <laughs> yep. It's a, it's so. a little depressing. It's like, oh, it's like it's like a tease. You just get a taste of it. No, the worst part is it's like, oh, here's a little taste of allergies, and then yes. let's go home and wait for it to happen again. Double dose it. Yep, absolutely. And and what about uh, NWTF? We got that coming up as well. Yep, absolutely. In uh, Nashville, Gaylord Opryland, we're going to be uh, in a podcast booth. Something new. We don't really even know a lot about it. Uh, we don't know of any of the other. I think we've been told there's a few other guys that are going to be in booths, and we're going to be kind of – from what I understand, off away from all the other um, dealer booths and, and retailers. So we're going to be kind of just a podcast row of, uh, of people talking turkeys. Specifically, we're going to be talking turkey habitat, different things, some plant, uh, some hunts coming up. There'll be some other hunting focused podcasters, uh, which will be really cool. So it'll be easy to find us there. So any of you guys that are headed there, uh, please check us out. Come by, shake your hand. Oh, man, the and, yeah, Matt might even hug you. So if you're lucky. <laughs> anyway, um, oh, we got one more sponsor call out we need to bring uh, to the attention. Uh, so this is a big, big part. Um, your your Matt's like wheels are spinning. So we got a big sponsor we need to thank for this. Just hard work and sweat. That's uh, hardworksweat.com um, for yeah. all your habitat management improvements. Um, check and them out. Elbowgrease.com will, will soon be joining <laughs> the fold too. <laughs> I got to give a shout out to uh, one of our clients that I'm meeting with, that I met with uh, on this trip that he said that uh, it, a lot of the stuff we promote, um, 
the only thing that goes with it it's not like a big sale it's just sweat and so he's like that's like one of your guys's biggest partners is hard work and sweat yeah and and, i'm like well that's blisters that that also come along with it (laughs) yeah so sore back uh, that's funny yeah but it's the truth and and we're going to talk i'm sure uh quite a bit about that today but you had You've had some pretty sweet observations. Kind of been catching up with you in the afternoons after after you being on site on some of these consultations. Um, but you've seen yeah. some kind of some cool stuff here in the last couple of days that we can certainly talk about um, in this week's podcast. Absolutely. So I started out, like I said earlier, started out in Missouri, um, kind of in that top, very top northeast part of the Ozark Mountains, um, and very very unique terrain close to the Merrimack River um this it's kind of weird Matt um you know how many how many properties have we worked and as we continue to grow I'm sure we'll see it more and more but um because our clientele are unique people and most of the time they have this kind of big picture mentality uh, they're trying to kind of pull in this holistic mindset yeah. holistic management style but uh, this property actually has some various things going on, some glade restoration, has some woodland restoration or kind of some timber stand improvements starting, going to kind of transition into woodland restoration, um, some timber management, going to do some bedding thickets, but also had a wetland right down close to the Mer- nice. Merrimack River yeah, yeah. that they did some cost share on to create this kind of this wetland area in a, in a part of the bottom field that was continuing to get flooded. So um, r- real quick, I what was the cost share program? Like what, what did they do to enroll those acres in a wetland? Because wetlands are super diverse and, and from a, um, a biological yeah, It wasn't standpoint. a whole lot. And I, I don't, I don't know anything gotcha. um, really about the programs that he specifically used. I see, um, I but I believe it's through the USDA. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a, you know, it wasn't a whole lot of work. It basically just consisted of, uh, some, some digging and some trench, like kind of just big levee marks. It wasn't, they didn't even have a floodgate on it. Got it. Um, got so it. some years it may be completely dry, but it's kind of, uh, it was an area that had a lot of swamp milkweed. And mm. so I was kind of trying to enhance the, uh, enhance the native plants for that wetland kind of area. Sure. Um, and, and honestly, it was, it was a great conversation about the importance of and how, how beneficial uh, with no floodgates and really nothing going on, how beneficial the beaver could be in that, in that landscape of, of really helping improve the riparian area, keeping, helping with some erosion, helping with some flooding issues um, and also diversifying the landscape. And so they were very excited, a lot of really cool stuff going on there. Um, you know, that was, that was a, uh, a, an awesome couple who were really, really honed in on, native species the composition of native species and the transition from dry climate all the way or dry site all the way down to wetland site mm-hmm. um, that occurred on their property so awesome. really cool a lot of fun um and i mean just a, a great reminder of the importance of focusing on native native species native landscapes and habitat restoration uh, then i went over to illinois cold oh cold snowy kind of drizzly rain had to pack up and get out of there before I got snowed in, but um, it was a it was a great great property, a great reminder of the importance of of not always focusing on trying to buy the big track of ground. Yeah, um, this was a a forty acre chunk that um, was in a dynamite spot 
and had a had a great just a great conversation with the importance of not owning the 500 acre farm but owning the right 40 um, because sometimes even when you go into big tracks of ground there's there's clearly winners and losers when you look at the acres and the wildlife usage uh, of of those different acres and you know especially in landscape like like illinois where you can have vast crop fields flat ground very little topography um all there is is just crops during the growing season and then nothing in the end and and then you're left with acres that you know you have to make an income off of but beyond that you can't do do too much um absolutely right So, so you know this piece of ground was surrounded kind of west and north and northeast of there was large crop ground mm-hmm. kind of southeast and east is more of the timber ground drainage like um he's in this transition area from what was historically prairie in the flat areas transitioning into these oak savannas down into drainage way forests and uh, so he's got like two to three to i don't know even estimate how old of oaks oh, wow. monster bur oaks and monster Ooh. white oaks big Ooh. wolfy trees around the drain that you just like sure i wish he could talk yeah and yeah. i bet he'd tell me stop looking at just stop looking at me for just big deer <laughs> um, yeah yeah but uh you know just a, a, a awesome diverse property the right 40 you know what Um, would be crazy to think about is like those trees and being down the drain it's a it's a little bit different of a story but how many how many fires have those trees seen maybe not right there at their base but just in and around you know that that immediate area how many fires have they endured And, and we talk about you know the or, or a lot of people are, are worried about, let's just say, prescribed fire, but that landscape, I'm sure, had some rip-roaring fires that those oh, specific sure. trees saw. They're in an area where the fire wasn't as, uh, let's say, damaging or influential yeah. to them specifically. One tree told but... me to go, to go shoot Smokey for him. I don't know what he meant by that. But... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it was a, uh, a really cool property. A great oh. reminder, once again, that, Sometimes it's not the, we focus on, gosh, I got to own a big chunk, but sometimes you buy the right chunk, even if it's less than 50 acres, it can be the right chunk and and you can kill some really good deer on it. The gentleman, I can't remember the numbers and you might be able to um, specifically, but he Mm. is 26 acres in Missouri. And he killed a 167, a 163, and I think a 133. Uh, in, over the course of two years, that's yeah. incredible on that yeah. piece, and it, and <laughs> I, I, I it and, and it's, it's not like that. I excuse me, Illinois farm where it's this uh, very broken up landscape, and it's just like the perfect funnel. That's not like it for that property, but still, what he's been able to do with it is still attract deer, and it be in the right general area, surrounded by some some probably some good neighbors, deer getting to age. And he's been able to capitalize on it with 26 acres and had that success. Yeah, pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. Um, you know, and, and, and that property, you know, he bought it, 
deer hunting is kind of the the major attraction but also loves turkey hunting and Mm -hmm. you know that that part where he's at that specific neighborhood doesn't have there's not a lot of crp close by there's not a lot of other buffer strips or frankly there's not a lot of cover crops right now it's pretty much closed canopy drainages with bush honeysuckle or autumn olive uh, or tall fescue smooth brome mixed in and then you go out in the chisel cloud crop fields. Wow. Um, there's so there's not really I don't I don't know if you'd have to go a little bit to see any pheasant or quail habitat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know he he was looking at it from an investment standpoint, wanted to improve the habitat but not do anything that would cause the that would harm the potential resale value. So sure. a big thing that we discussed was how hinge cutting might not be uh, real appropriate in a lot of that farm because the standpoint that it's not attractive it's a small window of deer hunters like i'd say if you pulled 50 or pulled deer uh, 100 deer hunters 50 percent may say that they like the look of hinge cuts and the other 50 percent would say "Yee, that looks kind of ugly mm-hmm. so it's a very small market when you go in and you start thinking you know you're going to manage your timber through hinge cutting um but if you do some just crop tree release and do some thinning you know it may not look as pretty as you as somebody might like but if they realize that you know we did this to to gain some more inches on our walnut trees so you have the benefit of of harvesting some walnuts i think more people would get on board with that oh Oh, yeah well totally that's great 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 i'm glad you did that for me um, and so that's kind of a focus of his is kind of managing, improving the habitat, improving the land health, but also setting it up for resale value possibly. So mm-hmm. um, the big thing was, you know, like I said, there's a little bit of terrain change on this farm. So just the just the outside perimeter of several of his crop fields were just starting to slope. So it's a great chance to maybe enroll in some buffer strips, diverse like pollinator type buffer strips, sure. CP38 type stuff. Um, to where he could he could enroll get some additional um, and additional payments at the same time <laughs> create some great screens for him maneuvering through the property um, at the same time set it up to where maybe he can bring back some more quail or bring in some pheasants type stuff uh, at the same time better more nesting available for turkeys and more cover for the deer which therefore means safe deer feel much safer so they spend more time on that farm um the aspect to me is you know when you look at 40 acres you got to have the mindset that you're not gonna you're not gonna own the deer like it takes a very large property to say we're gonna own the deer the purpose is just slow them down you want to slow them down to where they uh they spend more they're spending more time on your property it's like if you were to take off running across an asphalt parking lot, um, you could just you could be across it in no time. But if we poured a whole bunch of wet concrete halfway through it, and you took off running, you'd go a lot slower through that wet concrete. We're kind of wanting to create that sticky effect with the deer to where the habitat's so good, there's so much food available to where if they're trying to move through the neighborhood, it's like, oh, they kind of stick to it because they feel a lot safer. It's, it's, and, like, uh, it's like the difference of, when your when your wives go shopping, they park the car in in the parking lot. They beeline it to the actual mall, 
across the 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 no zone, right, where there's nothing fun, cool to slow them down and for them to enjoy. But as soon as I get shopping, it's like, let me window shop. Let me go try that on. Let me go do this. Let me go do that. And by the time, one, they spent a bunch of money, but two, they spent hours and hours on that property. And then they get back to the car and they booked it across the parking lot again because there's nothing there. Yeah. Just nothing. Yeah, so, you know, you just – that's kind of the mindset when you're going to 40 acres or even a hundred acres or 200 acres, shoot, even having that mentality on 500 acres is great. You're trying to slow the deer down enough to where you have a better chance at killing them uh, or let alone seeing them. And so, uh, you know, doing that, there's a lot of things, but in, if, if your goal is that, which I think all of us would say, that's our goal. I think the quickest way to get there is improving the cover as well as the security security coming in, not pressuring, but, also cover coming in the form of that two to four foot range of plants matter, whether that be shrubs or grasses or brambles or forbs. Um, that's just a great window to try to promote. So once again, I mean, painting the picture, you got crop field with a little bit of slope and then drop down 50 foot uh, into hardwood valleys. And some of those slopes had timber, some of them were more open a lot of them were like half timber and half, here's the big thing, old field. Oh, yeah. wait, what is old field? I mean, we're talking an area that was once pasture and then corn prices and crop prices got good. So the top started getting planted in crops. Yep. So what's left over? A bunch of old, rank, tall fescue, smooth brome that's got honey locusts and hedge trees coming up in it. Yeah. So Wildlife there's going to be a lot of <laughs> – Yeah. A lot of spraying on those slopes, removing that tall fescue, smooth brome. There's some, there's like Indian grass, big blue, little blue, broom sedge, um, some other forbs, goldenrod trying to grow, but mm-hmm. they're getting chokehold by that, uh, by that smooth brome, tall fescue. So a little bit of herbicide application during spring or fall, um, cleaning up some of those honey locusts, trying to promote more shrubs. So there were several hawthorns and gray mm-hmm. dogwoods in the area promote those so you get that six level edge going from tall forest to shrubs young forest brambles grasses forbs all the way down to uh the crops uh, but then you add in the buffer strips and you immediately go from acres and acres and acres of unproductive old field like smooth brome tall fescue to now way more acres of beneficial beneficial uh It'll be really interesting on a site like that where it's Acres. like smack dab in, in Illinois, removing that and putting prescribed fire back on those acres just naturally. What is going to come back up? And and, and yeah. you, you just really, you never know with the removal of those uh, locusts and hedge, uh, getting more sunlight in, like what truly is going to come back in there? from a form yeah. species some probably some rare plants have a strong potential to um yeah. recolonize there that'd be cool so to see. just a really cool just a really cool property then you transfer over to indiana today and one of the most diverse in in acres farm i've i've walked um in a small package you know it's 109 acres and you start out on the east side being you know chestnut and white oak forest with beach underneath. Um, you we're say talking chestnut, some you're saying chestnut oak? Chestnut oak, yeah. yeah. Um, that's, I believe I said that at the beginning. Maybe I did, but chestnut oak and white oak 
um, forest. I mean, probably some some logs flirting with veneer caliber. Mm. Uh, just monster straight, beautiful trees. Um, a lot of really nice trees in there. Um, complete closed canopy though, yeah, by the way. Very and little you go, underneath. You start now if you go from the east side and you start sloping down, you go kind of transition where there's aspen and Virginia pine. Hmm. Um, and then you go into like maples and elms and different things. Transition on down. You've got a lot of fields that have little wooded draws in between. Um, and the fields have been cropped in the past. They haven't, they weren't this year because of extremely wet spring. Um, and then you can transition right down into birch, sycamore, uh, kind of a, boggy area and then transition right down in a little creek valley that's holding water that honestly would be a great little spot to just a little bit of work have a nice little <laughs> it'd be a great little compoundment for waterfowl hunting because there's a big kind of watershed lake just just north of the property um several acres that has geese and ducks on it a lot and and uh, at one point this spring, the landowner had a prop uh, had a camera on a portion of the property that got flooded. Mm -hmm. So it went from being kind of just an area monitoring for deer and turkeys to all of a sudden he's getting pictures of geese and mallard ducks float oh, floating by. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they're in the area. How and, uh, how big was the the differences in terrain from the upland side where the chestnut oak, the white oak was? down to the boggy area you know foot wise what are we talking there oh 100 200 foot maybe okay. probably not even i gotcha. was trying to pull up a map because when you started asking I, I was like i knew where you were going with it but i was because, trying to figure out exactly sure when there's sometimes in, in certain areas where you can have those and obviously the the depth or the width of those certain areas or habitat types are can be very small but <clears throat> um, I remember a property that, that Frank and I visited back in October in Oklahoma um, seemed very similar to some of those those distinct transitions, but we were climbing six inches and then a foot and then another foot and then another foot to get out of the uh, creek bank and up right back into what would have been like a, a uh, post oak savanna. And it was just very minor and it was over a short period of time, but it was like super clear though at the same time. There wasn't this yeah. long drawn out across the whole property. It was literally yeah. this is about 30 hundred yards. foot elevation change. Hundred foot, okay. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. That's very neat. And, and and so, you know, this part of southern Indiana there are the remnant rough grouse population mm -hmm. and uh there was a big initiative in this part of the in this part of the state for young forest restoration for the rough grouse. Um, so they're in the area now. So the hardwood areas would be great. Okay. We're managing for rough grouse transition down in the op open areas. He's already talked to NRCS and they're trying to encourage some, some grassland management, some upland management to try to promote the quail because he's seen quail. There are a few in the area. So trying to manage those open acres that are, that are up above the Creek mm -hmm. for quail. So it's like, okay, quail check rough grouse check um and then you go all the way down to the wet area and you're like we can seriously manage this for waterfowl yeah and probably probably and then woodcock and at the same all. time the turkey hunting is phenomenal yeah that's who not many properties 
that I've worked have those four things going for him. No. Oh, and by the way, one of his neighbors killed a deer that over 200, like in the last five years. I think it was two or three years ago. Wow. Um, wow. So you tell me, you know, when you look at, when you think of that, like you start checking boxes. All I can say is Mr. Client Indiana did very well in picking this farm. Absolutely. It sounds incredible. And, and, and truthfully, that kind of <clears> goes into the topic of today is, you know, not managing just for big bucks. And, and, and oh, you come look on. At, say it like I had it written down. I honestly, this I forgot at, what it said. Oh, <laughs> That's why um, I, I knew the, it was something the, like that. <laughs> the stupidest comment ever said. Oh. <laughs> I think it says, quote, I only care about big oh, deer, yeah. end quote, dash the stupidest comment yeah. ever made. I only care about um, big deer. I, mean, I that, hate a... that. You know, if if you want you and I to be friends, don't ever say that to me. Um, it's like, you know, if, if somebody walks up and says that to me, it's like, for real? Like, are we going to have, like, oh, all right, pull up a chair. We got a lot to talk about. There's just, there's, um, there's, there's more to, there's more to land. It would be like, I got to think of a good analogy, but it's like going up to an ice cream shop and knowing that there's so many flavors and only ever getting one. And well, it's like, I'm, I'm going to vouch for that. Like, come on, try hard, something else. Hard to pull me away from butter pecan. Oh, um, God. But, you know, when you think about this, like, it's like, uh, says Mr. Vanilla, but, uh, no, more it's like, uh, it's I wasn't meaning that you're a uh, that that's your flavor, but you're Mr. Vanilla in life. Oh, How about, yeah, how about right. that? Um, and so, uh, you know, when it comes to only caring about big deer, um, gosh, what a very selfish, selfish statement in my belief, you know, in my in my idea. You know, a lot of our clients, when they hire us, they're thinking big picture already. But there are the occasionals like, man, I really want to kill big deer. And those clients through our work have killed some really, really big deer. But at the same time, when when we're laying out the work, like it's all about just fixing the landscape, fixing the habitat, fixing what the problem is or the problems are and addressing it and trying to restore a native landscape to where, you know, sometimes, Matt, I don't know, did you ever have, so I took, I took a lot of shop class and my minor in college is technology, which isn't computers and phones. It's technology was like welding and, and CAD work and all kinds of different yeah. classes and courses. And, um, we did one time, oh, one where it was small engine repair and, you basically had a small engine and basically we would start it up. Okay. Yep. It runs. Everything's great. Then we completely take it apart and all these different pieces and we'd spread them out on the ground and the professor would come by and he would, he would go through and make sure all the pieces were undone. And, uh, and then we would do a, a long course kind of checking every different thing and learning different things. And so we couldn't just put it back exactly like we remember taking it apart. There was a, there was a separation in time. And when we went back and we started putting them all together, there was always that you start it and you're listening to that motor run and you're like, that motor right there, everything is in check. Everything is exactly the way it should be. That engine is purring like a Cadillac. Then there'd be the one where it put together and it wasn't quite right. And it'd be lots of spitting and sputtering. There's a lot of land that's spitting and sputtering. 
there's a lot of farms that are running, but they're not running like a well-oiled machine. And when you work with the land and you're improving the landscape and you're removing invasives or, or at least getting them in a very manageable state and you're looking big picture, you turn your farm into a well-oiled machine to where, yeah. you know, that, that's just, I only care about big deer. It's like, it's like the, I don't know. It's like, uh, it's the things you never say. Um, and for example, you shouldn't say, um, it's like, you know, if you go on a first date and say, oh, <laughs> I, uh, I like the dress, but I wish you'd have done something else with your hair. Whoa. Okay. Bold move, um, Cotton. It's like if you walk up and say something to a to a habitat guy or, or, or to me specifically, because that's kind of a pet peeve is going, well, I don't care about big deer. E. Wow. What is, well, I mean, it, frankly, what a selfish thing to say. Well, right off right off the bat is you can't really say that statement um, and not know the implications because in reality, you actually, you actually care about a year and a half old deer. You actually care about a button buck. And you actually care about the doe. And you actually care about all the other stuff. It's just, it's like, it's like one of those statements that, like, oh wait, I guess, I guess I care more about it when when you have to slow down and, and break down because all those other components, yes, add up to a big deer, which you probably do care about. And everyone likes to enjoy, but you can't just have that single focus and be like, that's the only thing that matters. And then let, let's say the land suffer or fall to the wayside and not address the overall big picture of an entire property and focus solely on maybe it's just targeting that, that one big deer that, that shows up and whatever. There's, there's more, there's more to it. There's, there's more to than just a big deer mindset it's a overall land mindset that you have to have to be able to make the bigger picture come true those goals well when you think about uh i only care about big deer it really translates to you manage the farm for big deer so you're really focused on you're really focused on food plots and you may go and do you know a little bit of bedding area you may plant a single species bedding area, or you may go do one type of specific cut mm -hmm. for a bedding area, like a hinge cut. Um, you may plant nothing but a monoculture screen, so you have better access. Uh, but outside of that, that's really all you do. Uh, or you may do a few other things, um, but those are some of the popular ones that are really kind of pushed pushed in the outdoor world of do this for big deer, do this to kill big deer. Right. And it's really like a, a lot of them are, it's a, it's a mindset that needs to go away because yeah, it's, it's a very selfish way of thinking, uh, frankly. Um, and also if you really care about big deer, that's like saying that as a landowner, I have the privilege or I have the honor of only caring about what I bought the farm for. Okay. And which is okay. I'm, you have me listening, but I do have an eyebrow raised at, at your thought process. But I want to ask you if you do, if you're a listener and you are thinking like this and you've heard yourself make this comment, 
I want you to sit here and I want you to picture your very favorite tree stand on the farm or blind and then picture your neighbor, your closest neighbor, whether he's a crop farmer or a forest. Let's say he's got woods, okay? Let's just for this analogy, he's got woods. That farmer then picks one thing that he cares about and he does whatever it takes to get that on his farm. Like a soul focus. Say that, say that guy goes, my soul focus is cattle, okay? I'm going to doze all these trees and plant fescue. Well, now, if your deer are coming from um, that farm or your deer go that way, it immediately most likely changes your um, – your thought process and going oh on a soul focus um, mindset i wish i wish he cared about deer like me or i wish he cared about the actual lamb hell if he went out and ran the dozer and a week later it it uh rained two inches and it turned into huge ruts and you saw it you might be irritated or picture yourself a guy who's got the mindset i am only caring about big deer and your neighbor goes out and decides, are you your the farm next to you sells, and it turns into a four wheeler track or a dirt bike track because they're louder. And November fourteenth or November fourth is their most popular motorcycle race because they don't care anything about here. And so you get to sit there and listen to the whole day. You're going to wish that guy cared more about the land or more, more about you as an individual. So one-track mindsets, uh, especially the land ownership, is is a very dangerous and, and frankly, a selfish way of thinking. Well, um, just... And that's why I love overall just land management, true land management, where we're trying to just manage for the native species is because um, – whatever you do at the very least you spend your whole life managing for the land health and the next guy gets it and it's it's just as good as the way you found it Um, or most likely it's even better than when you got the farm so you've passed down this wonderful piece of land to somebody who can now benefit from it but if you go out with a you know a one-track mind saying I only care a one one thing mindset, and I only care about this. Then to resell it or to do this, that person has to inherit whatever it was you were focused on, and then fix it to something else um, if that's not what their goals are. So at the very least, if you manage for the land health, um, and you're and you're managing for all these wonderful things, the next guy can pick it up and just carry the torch. We had the privilege this year, Adam, of working. Um, to sell the Hogan property in Ohio that we've talked a lot about on the podcast. And that property specifically is, is a perfect example of um, not having the mindset of just going in to kill big deer. Yeah. That property from an offering of the recreational potential, um, and you could be busy, busy every single day of the year, and I'm not talking about managing the property. I'm just talking about enjoying the property from going and having the ability to, whether it's ride horses, whether it's ride ATVs, whether it's to fish, whether it is to hunt, all these different game species. 
it, you know, that right there had an incredible ability to attract totally different people, buyers, than um, just just a guy who's wanting just for deer hunting. But it also had the ability to to reach him too because the habitat was just incredible. I mean, it, it was it was an awesome, awesome place. Um, but there, to 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 the point of managing properties for the greater uh, land use, I think has more. Let's just say market potential but also just from a day-to-day basis recreational potential you you talk to to the gentleman today um you know okay he's got waterfowl potential quail turkey deer all these things and and his kids who were part of um you know the family and the reason for getting that property they had other aspects that they were or, or he had interest in too, didn't his, his daughter? Uh, absolutely. So he's got a son, right? his son who's almost 12, a daughter who's nine. And, uh, you know, she likes butterflies and showy flowers, things like that. Mm-hmm. And he likes he likes the, that that as well, but also hunting and shot his first deer this year and his first turkey off the ground. Um, shot the turkey during the fall season with a 410, shot the deer. Um during the during this fall as well and uh you know just he's enjoying the hunting aspect but he's also hunting uh enjoying the creek there's a small stream Mm. (laughs) i guess i shouldn't say small stream there is a creek that runs through it that sometimes turns to a river um but uh you know there's so many different things that when he's managing just for the overall health of the land um, that it just turns into where there's so much more potential for them to uh, for them to enjoy, and not oh, only that, if he was to turn around and and you know, worst case scenario, or wants to move, buy a piece of ground closer to home, he's turned around. And he's opened that door up to where he can find another guy that's looking for all that as well. It's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. or if a guy's decided to do uh, crops, or he's a crop farmer. Um, he's ready to flip it and transition into crop farming. Like it's not that hard to do. Um, I I think that's a good point that a lot of people don't think about when managing the habitat is a lot of times when you think like old field management, you're like, Oh, I don't want to give up that like really, really nice, beautiful field. It's, it's open. It's, it's pretty, it can be used for anything. If I need to plant for a food plot, I could, it's like, honestly, for most old fields, if you're, burning every four years you're controlling like everything yeah like the woody breeze sprouts it, it, it can be a crop field the next year if you want i don't care yeah. burn it and plant it at the very least it's like oh there's crop prices are really really great and it'd be great to have really good income for a couple of years well you have sure. the ability um and yeah, then it wouldn't yeah. be i mean so <laughs> he had I, I didn't even mention rabbit hunting which is kind of a goal of theirs as well um and so you know pollinator blends planted uh fields getting edge feathered uh more shrubs being on the landscape he's gonna have he's gonna he's gonna have more rabbits Um, a lot of green briar around it and it's like oh this is phenomenal i don't know if i even mentioned woodcock hunting um so it's just like he has so much to do there even beavers i don't know if i mentioned he had this guy had beavers on his place we found a lot of fresh fresh uh chews and fresh uh fresh sign and and you know if he wanted to trap a few to get the pelt he has that renewable resource there um yeah, absolutely and so it's just like 
find me a property that's got that. Like, there's not a lot of them out there. Um, and, or, and so, or taking the property that you already have and just adopting or changing your mindset to a mindset where you are reaching and throwing a bigger net over the potential to manage it and enjoy the farm beyond just killing a big deer, you could have those potentials too. If you're, if you're not focused on that um, on a year-to-year basis, you might miss out on those exact same opportunities. Like, oh, I'd, I'd love to – I'd love to – okay, let's just take this for example. You're a guy in Iowa and you're like, I've been hunting this property for, for years and years and years, um, just focus on, on deer. But you know what? I, I like to pheasant hunt. Oh, gosh. We can do that. We, we can totally do that. And then, he, then you never know. He, down the road, after season goes out, he's enjoying the farm much more um, with the opportunity to, to pheasant hunt. Or maybe he's doing it in October. He's saying, I'm, I'm going to not sit in tree stand tonight. I'm going to go pheasant hunt. But if you just – you could take the exact same property and do so much more just by changing a mindset. Yeah, looking big picture. Uh, it's It's just totally. something that – you know, this guy, he's got the opportunity to, if his wife and kids show up during the summer, they can ride around, see the butterflies, see the, the cool mm. landscape, see the creek, play in the creek, see the beaver swimming in the swamp, whatever. Um, or everybody shows up in November, he's got the ability to, to go right out the back door and be in some world-class whitetail hunting. Yeah, um, yeah. or if, you know, the conditions aren't great, and it's like, you know what, let's go down to the west side of the property and chase some rabbits in the bottom. Go do it. You're not really affecting cool. the deer hunting, the deer hunting at all, because we've laid out the property in a way to where, kind of have our whitetail areas, rough grouse areas, uh, and we've got really awesome waterfowl, quail, or or rabbits down in this part of the world, or woodcock hunting down in that other part of the farm. It's 109 acres. I mean, come on. That's nuts. That's awesome. Um, that's so cool. And you know, that's that comes down to the 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 constant stupid comment of. I only care about big deer. I mean, that's what I said at the beginning. I'm going to stand by. It's like, let's just say, what what can we do in the forest to maximize the habitat to where we know we have some good habitat? Well, if we cut some trees, the deer are going to adapt to it. That's not a good indicator. But we do some habitat work and all of a sudden some grouse show up. <laughs> that's a pretty good idea that we've got something special. Because grouse being such a key component of quality habitat, young forest growth, we know we're going to be getting somewhere if grouse show up. Go out into the fields. Well, how do we know we have great habitat? Well, if we're seeing more quail and they're very sensitive to having quality habitat, we know we're getting somewhere. Um, flip that over and go down on the go down on the creek bank and well, how do we know we have quality habitat? Um, well, we're seeing more species. We're seeing a diversity of, of plants and, and shrubs. Uh, we're seeing a multi, just a, a big part or a, a, a big long list of different animals. Um, and you know what? There's a bunch of beavers in here, and I thought they were a royal pain, but all of a sudden they're starting to do some things to the creek. And I notice it doesn't blow out of the banks nearly as much, and erosion doesn't seem, a big, uh, doesn't seem to be as big of a problem. Well, we're probably doing some great things then. Um, yeah. thank and, you, Beaver. Yeah, thank you, Beaver. And and now I'm getting to shoot some ducks. Wow, what a what a place. Um, but if we went into it, I only care about big deer. Well, his neighbor killed a 202 just just a few years ago. Big deer are already there. 
Um, not really at that point. It's like, why do I have to continue working hard? Because, uh, big deer are already here. Now I just need to figure out how to kill them. Yeah. It, that's what, that's where it's like the mindset will, will totally shift and just go to a harvest mentality. It's like all the time that I should have been maybe doing work in the timber or, uh, doing some dormant season, uh, disking or whatever management technique you want to use. It's like that time is replaced by, uh, maybe mock scrapes or, uh, just focusing so much on trail camera inventory pictures, uh, mineral, all, all these other things that, yeah, they're, they're additions, the things you can get done, but you don't have to have them to have all these other great game species present, which by default, you're going to improve for great deer hunting anyways. It's like, you, you, you totally shift from habitat management into just a hunting, like, kill mentality. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and so... For, let's just, for sake of, uh, of arguing and for sake of the story here, we'll say, you know, let's just take this property in Indiana, the one I visited today. We only care about big deer. Well, 200-incher was killed in the neighborhood in the last three years. Okay, so big deer are in the neighborhood. We just got to figure out how to kill them. Yeah, yeah, we get that. Now let's list out. There's Cerisa Lespediza, there's Autumn Olive, there's Multifloral Rose, and a big one's Japanese Honeysuckle and Japanese Stiltgrass. Um, so those five are just pretty, you know, Cerisa, not very dominant, only a few places. Um, Japanese stiltgrass is along some of these old trails that go up through the timber and a lot of the field edges. And specifically in one area that was clover two years ago, really good clover. And without herbicide and much management, it turned into almost a complete field of jo uh, Japanese stiltgrass, okay? Wow. Um, Autumn olives, scattered, very sparse, few pockets, not a huge threat. Multifloral rose through a lot of the little wooded drains. Um, and then, of course, Japanese honeysuckle is probably the biggest one in the area. And it's all these little fragmented wooded draws just like the multifloral rose, okay? So it's like, wow, all right, if I only care about big deer, they're already in the neighborhood, I just need to figure out how to kill them. I'm probably not addressing the, the invasives. The big five. And those invasives are in a state right now where you could get on top of them in the next two years and be pretty doggone set with going, okay, these were a threat. You know, this was the first wave of enemy soldiers coming to the line and we knocked them out. But yeah. if I don't start shooting them now, they're getting ready to overwhelm me. And it does not take long. And it won't take long. I mean, ja Japanese stiltgrass is is one that's like if I don't if I don't do something now, there's a whole lot of seed that can be made out of those plants, and it's just going to keep spreading. It's like all this field edges, um, yeah. all the little field edges where you know there was crop going on, so they were kept out of the fields because of the yeah. soybeans Herbicides. and the corn, but. Outside of that, they're just sitting there making seed at the edge of the fields. And, and his food plot was a great example. The edges of fields where Japanese stiltgrass was colonizing, and then as soon as he stopped maintaining it, boom, the whole field turned to Japanese stiltgrass. So picture yeah. trying to plant pollinators. Um, in, in five years, the whole field's going to get start getting infested with Japanese stiltgrass. That's not a great... That's not a great pollinator planting. I wouldn't want to 
hang my hat on that planting. I want to take care of those species. And so just with two years of spraying out the Japanese stiltgrass and really knocking it down and putting it on retreat, he has the ability to start really gaining some ground and, and going more in a preventative maintenance rather than full-on trying to repair the whole farm. And, uh, you know, it's just like... Uh, it's like nip it in the bud. Like, you know, it could be a problem. Hit it when it's, when it's, when it is a small problem. Don't allow it to get to be a big problem. Um, yeah. And it's so easy to just drive past that kind of stuff. Like, oh, it's just a small area. Well, that small area next year, like, oh, I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll get it. I, and we all do it. Like, we're all guilty of it. Um, it's just like, it's so so hard sometimes to slow yourself down from doing other stuff and it may not be that your just mindset is focused solely on big deer it's just you have other projects to do but from ones who have fought invasives and fend them off you got to do it yeah you got to or you will you will the day that you start the war that you should have just fought the battles the day you start that war from that point on till when you say like you're kind of done fighting it you will regret those times you didn't stop or bring bring that uh, backpack spray of herbicide with you to address that species. I would, you know, just we we talked about the stilt grass, Adam, before recording, and it is so it's so rampant. And and, and one of the things in kind of this northeast see, part of the world, like I see it a lot yeah, in northeast, well, mid Atlantic, mid Atlantic, it's all over uh, Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, um, Maryland, Virginia. It's just crazy, crazy. It's at Kentucky. It's everywhere. Um, but we see a lot when there's been that logging operation, um, and it's either okay. We've had some uh, just a little bit of additional sunlight. Maybe maybe that soil the disturbance here. Yeah brings it in, you know, trees drop, you know, dragging canopies across from the bottom, uh, you know, creek drainage up the slopes. And, and on the skitter trails specifically, you're going to see Japanese stiltgrass begin to grow. And it's, it's, it's very distinct, um, but that disturbance and bring that seed up, and it's a sticky seed, so, like, it can attach to people's boots, uh, skitters, the treetops that get drug around, um, animals, fur, all that stuff. It just, when those are the high traffic areas, they begin to get hammered, the edges of fields. Now, it doesn't like a ton, a ton of like full sun, but those shady areas, oh, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's everywhere. And it, and it doesn't handle harborside very well. So it's like, if I could get on it early, it's like, well, just keep making sure you have it on retreat rather than advancing and. There's and, a lot of seeds, but the, the yeah, Cerisa on his place, you know, Cerisa is one of the, my least favorite of all. It makes a lot of seed, a lot of hard seed. It's kind of hard to kill with herbicide. Like, it, you know, there's some good herbicides, but it's not like I can go by. When it gets so thick, it's hard to, it's going to take multiple sprains to really knock it out. And, uh, it's got a really hard seed that can stay in the soil for a long time. And it's like, man, if you can find Cerisa when it's just starting to show and you dress it, okay, problem solved. But if you let it go for a while, it's going to be catastrophic for you. We've yeah, seen fields and fields. I've seen, seen some horrible places of Cerisa. Horrible. Um, Serica and all that stuff. No, I, 
<laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cerisa is just a really big problem. Um, but on this farm, if if he went into it with a big buck mentality, I only care about big bucks, he's not going to try to learn invasive species, plant communities that are on his farm. And he's going to watch just – and it would happen right before his eyes without even noticing it. Um, it would be like, man, I'm seeing some big deer. There's some big deer in the area. And then over time, you're going to see, you know, we used to have some big deer. I'm not real sure what happened. Maybe I didn't do more hinge cutting. Maybe I need to do more. Maybe I need to make more food plots. Um, yeah. All while you're just dying inside from cancer. And, and by that, I mean the, your land is just getting infested with these unwanted species. And we don't even know it. Um, no. And and that's a huge problem, huge problem. It's and it's like it's 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 this problem of not just that your deer are slowly going to start getting lower in quality and maybe less abundant and using your neighbors more and and all that, but at the same time, it's just leaving a horrible mess for the next landowner or your kids to where if somebody gets it, it's like, ugh. I don't or, like if you list it. Somebody comes in that's going, oh no, 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 no! I don't want all this infested. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Or the opposite is you you try and sell it, and someone who has been managing or or addressing them on their existing or you know previous farm, they're like, no, I I'm moving on. I'm not doing that one. Yeah, it's like uh, buying it's a new a chore. It's like buying a, investing in a new vehicle and then and. and hardly ever changing the oil or never giving it a bath and try to sell it in two years. Yeah. Um, I get in there and I hear it clicking under the hood and it looks like there's a little bit of rust forming on the fender. Well, that wasn't a very good way of investing. That wasn't a good investment. That wasn't good management. And uh, the same thing's true with your, with your, with your ground. I think it's so easy sometimes to forget about, like to, to look at properties in acres and it doesn't matter, um, you know, how much acres you have, but look at it from like a square footage standpoint, and and especially when it comes down to invasives, and think about how much maybe you paid per acre for that ground, or you know, because over time that those acres and acres or square footage that will build into acres is going to begin to uh, increase from the number dominated by the invasives. Yeah. And if that kind of gets your blood boiling and go against, obviously, your plan, then, ooh, that hurts. That For hurts. sure. You're, lo- you're losing good quality ground that could be going to your objective and your goal. And it's just going to continue to, to develop itself. It's yep. not going to slow down. Yep. And it's like. You know, we've been on property where it was a deer hunting property, and they did things for deer, um, like planting autumn olives hedgerows to try to screen out eyeballs. Well, what happened? The whole understory of the forest got taken over with autumn olive. So mm-hmm. the the next timber harvest means that that's the last one unless something major happens because there is no oak regeneration in the understory because the understory is choked out by autumn olive. Choked out, or it's been browsed out because it's been the only other native thing that deer would really want to forage on. Yeah. and, and, and it's, a, it's a competing uh, competition standpoint, and it's just a not a good direction, not yeah. good at all. And, and so then you look at it from a – 
from an investment standpoint, bad investment. Um, it's it's not a good it's not a good way of managing that investment. From a yeah. habitat standpoint, it's it's only going to get worse and worse and worse. Um, and at the same time, this all happened because of a I only care about deer mindset and. You know, I'm going to plant this species that I don't know much about or I've read in a magazine of being a great a great screen and I planted it without realizing that it was a invasive. Yeah. And uh and that's just like, you know, you see that with with certain things or you know, the switchgrass monoculture thing that we've talked about in the past. That that's another kind of deer only aspect of deer only management because Anybody who's talked quail or managed quail or pheasants realize that diversity is key. Um, you you need you need those forbs so they're seed available for food. Switchgrass may be a phenomenal cover, but if they have to leave the switchgrass to go get food, that's only making them susceptible for predation or winter kill. Um, and overall, it, it it decreases their chance of survival. So if you had this mixed native prairie with multiple species, yes, of course, it doesn't stand up in the snow nearly as good as a straight switchgrass monoculture. But they don't stand a chance anyway if there's no food inside the switchgrass. And so if you mix in multiple species, though, switchgrass isn't the only stand. It, it's not the only grass that stands up in the winter. If you mix in little blue, broom sedge, even both those stand up well in the winter. And we're not looking. A quail doesn't need six-foot-tall grass to survive. If it's a two-foot clump and mix in some brambles and some shrubs, they've got it. They're good. That's that's the aspect of it. You know, it's not just the the grass and form component. It's the, man, ideally I want shrubs. Ideally I want brambles mixed in. Uh, among everything else. I want those diversity components of the early successional plant communities that the deer and other wildlife species respond to. And, and beyond just the, you know, game species, we're talking everything that makes all this stuff work and balance out and just be healthy. You, you have to have those. But, and, and we've done a podcast um, way back when on uh, monoculture monoculture mindset i think was the name of it um where we discuss all these things it's like why why go and plant let's say this specific monoculture um because that's not represented in nature you know it, it, it's like a it's like a false advertisement to to deer it's like i'm going to give you one aspect of it it's like a tease you know here, here's one component of it because this fits my agenda better than, than yours. In reality, all these things mixed together is yeah. what you really need. Absolutely. It, it's like a falsification of, of, of habitat management because it's, it's, it's a native. Oh, but, that, that's my but next it comment. Multiple, it needs multiple. Um, and, and I guess that's overall we're, we're habitat manager, managers. We're not like a species manager. We, we're, we're managing plant communities, and communities are um, obviously, just by definition of that, it's it's an interaction among different species yeah. that make a make a group, a collective, beneficial. Yeah. And, and, and so that's compare a, switchgrass with Miscanthus gigantis, because 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 uh, it's so popular right now. 
Um, so many people are talking about it. Well, of course, switchgrass is better because it is a native. It's been here on the landscape for longer than we've been here. We know it's not uh, going to take over the country and and, and be a, the next the next horrible invasive. Um, but yet, it's native, but not in a monoculture. Nowhere right. do you see a naturally occurring native switchgrass monoculture. If we had a native landscape with disturbance, it's not going to be a straight monoculture switchgrass. So even though it's native, it doesn't. A monoculture of it isn't native. Look at uh, the guys down south, uh, longleaf pine plantations. I just did a virtual property evaluation with a gentleman um, who who bought a property that had longleaf pine on it in a plantation plant in a plantation, and um, the understory, although longleaf is an incredible um, uh, species that is that is extremely native to this area in the sand hills, it's a community, or there should be natively a community of multiple species that work together, and the longleaf is a component of that that plant community that is very responsive to um, or, or, or supports a ton of different wildlife species that that gentleman was looking to promote like deer and turkey and quail. But, but just because that one species in a monoculture form was there doesn't mean that you get the same benefits as the community working together to get those goals. Yeah. Just like this gentleman here. Quail. You're you're not going to get that responsive quail by just planting little blue stems. Yeah, yeah. Just okay. Let's yeah. Step away from switchgrass. You're yeah. not going to get that response just by having little blue. Yeah. It, to me, to it's like everything else. Switchgrass. Okay, for deer. Great. Yeah. That's that's an awesome one. Um, quail. Little blue stem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's great. But I'm not going to plant the whole field in sw- little blue stem. Um, I only care about rabbits. Well, I'm going to plant my whole field in American blackberry. No, yeah. that would suck. <laughs> that yeah, would be that would, awful. That would just be horrible. That'd be yeah. awful to walk through. Um, and and so like, well, I only care about rough grouse. Well, I'm going to plant nothing but aspen trees, and I'm going to cut it every five years. Um, that wouldn't work either. And uh, and so that, that, that once again, <laughs> diversity wins the day. Yeah. It sure does. It sure does. Every time. I think we'll probably round up just about every podcast with diversity is king and it wins. It's, it's the trump card. It's native the, diversity. I don't, I don't, Let's make yeah, it I better. That, yeah, there you go. Native diversity is the king. Yeah, absolutely. It, I think I, just going, going back to that community mindset, you, you have to have um, multiple species. Here, Here's like, my... I say multiple species. I want like, I don't mean multiple as in like Three. Yeah. It's like 20, 30, 50 different species yeah. all working together. That's the kind of diversity that we're talking about. Here, here's my challenge to all of you listeners. Here it is. This is you want to be the best land manager in your area, in your county, in your state. Okay, this is my challenge to you. I want you to go buy a brand spanking new notebook at Walmart or wherever. Buy it off Amazon. Just get it shipped right to your door and get you a pen. And I want you to start IDing all the species that are on your farm, all right? And I want you to ID all of them. Native, you make two columns if you want. Native, non-native. 
start IDing them all out, all the way down the list. If you've got two hundred, writing really fast. Adam. Yeah, I can hear it from here. Yeah, well, if you see my writing, you realize I write really fast because it's hard <laughs> to read. Um, you've written, you know, two hundred species that you've identified. All right, and it's are plants. You a typewriter? No, I'm I'm writing. <laughs> all right, so you've got you've got Forbes, you've got legumes, you've got you know Forbes legumes, same thing. And we're gonna say. Um, just forbs, just grasses, just brambles, just shrubs, just trees. Just start listing them all out. And if you got, if you teach yourself to learn these, and you go, I don't know what this is. I naturalist app. I've told you and told you and told you in multiple podcasts. Get it. Start learning the species that are on your farm. It's super easy. There's no excuse not to know anymore. You don't have to get ID books. They're fun. But you have everything you need at the tip of your hands. You carry it in your pocket and you look at it too much anyway. We're all guilty of it. Take pictures and go, okay, what's that one? All right, I don't know what that is, but it says it's native to this region. Write it down. If you have 200 of them, six months in, you have 200. Work to get 400 by the next six months later. Figure out that, how to add more species mean, to your farm. Yeah. I don't even care if, if you're going, I don't know where to put it. Put it at the edge of a food plot or figure out a way to do dormant season disking and see what grows and start IDing it for If you want a great rule of thumb to say, I don't know how to manage my land, how do I make it better? Just try to add more native species, whether it be shrubs or brambles. Look around and say, you know, it doesn't seem like I have a lot of mid-story growth trees, woody species. Add some shrubs to the landscape. Walk around and figure out if there's anything that's raking and pulling at your pants and realize, you know what, I don't have many brambles. Figure out how to, a way to put some brambles on your farm. Um, and, and most times, and I know we've said it before, not necessarily on the shrub standpoint, but all the other, you know, when it comes to the forbs and everything, sometimes it's just a matter of just opening up, getting sunlight. Like yeah. You don't have to necessarily go and buy anything. We're just talking about like manipulating the landscape to promote this kind of stuff. Yeah. If you walk walk through your timber during the fall and you realize you you look down and you don't have anything stuck to your pants, go to your buddy's farm and who's always got beggar's lice or desmodium, desmodium sticking to his pants get all of them stuck to your pants and go throw them out on your farm get some stick tights on your farm it all has a place uh, as long as they're native and uh, the more diversity you add the more sunlight you add the better off your land's gonna be Absolutely. stop yes. thinking just deer because as soon as you start as soon as you start thinking just deer you stop thinking if that makes sense to you let me say it again. As soon as you start thinking just deer, you stopped thinking. About the land. <laughs> just anything. You turn <laughs> into an airhead. I don't know. Um, it's late, and I, I really, really pet peeve of mine is to have the I only care about big bucks mentality. Because your land's going to suffer. The next guy's going to suffer. This isn't all. We don't own the land. We're just renting it from the next generation. And as soon as you start thinking about only big bucks, you're going to pass on a property that's not worth passing on. Yeah. Unfortunately, that that is that is the general direction. But with proper education, that's how we're going to get 
better land, better working ecosystems, better soil quality, better air quality, better water quality is by having and promoting, understanding, managing for diversity on land. Native diversity. Period. Yeah. Hopefully. I think that wraps it up. Yeah, I don't know any other way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Um oh. Oh. Um uh, one more one more uh sponsor call out. This goes to the back brace. The um, back brace. Ace oh. the, Ace <laughs> Ace the back brace for all you chainsaw enthusiasts who are out there putting habitat on the ground. Um this so. podcast is brought to you by the back brace. That's right. Yeah, he t- the in the conversation we were we were laughing about how you know a lot of our promotion is habitat restoration which really can't have a whole lot of product endorsement because it's hard to sell a bag of ragweed. It's hard to sell a bag of blackberries or a bag of brambles. That's the next yeah. one. We're going to sell bags of brambles. I like um, it. Yeah, and and we don't know what's in the brambles. If it could be greenbrier or blackberry or raspberry or gooseberry or whatever, but we're going to send out bags of brambles. Um, And he's like, you know, you guys are really sponsored by hard work, sweat, and and, uh, he kind of joked, or maybe I was thinking about it later, but it's like, you know, a leave could jump on board. Um, Yeah, that's absolutely right. (laughs) Yep. What what are, what are those those braces that help like the circulation like the copper copper, copper? copper fit there you go yeah. <laughs> oh my knee yeah. my elbow my back hurts because I ran a chainsaw all day and I was cutting down junk I was cutting down junk timber releasing yeah. oaks yeah I'm just getting the medical field after this <laughs> shoot they got Sell the money products <laughs> yeah oh, this man. this was brought to you by acupuncture. Head down yeah. to your local acupuncture. Yeah, no doubt. Relieve some we're of gonna, that back we're pain. Gonna, we're going to have chiropractors calling in for advertisements here on, <laughs> on the podcast. Masseuses. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, we should. Oh, man. Well, anyway, guys, I sure enjoyed it this week. Um, once again, another great conversation. Hopefully you guys are – Man, there's so many great reviews and so many great comments, recommendations, guys, coming in on social media and iTunes, and we can't thank you guys enough. There's so many uh, inspiring and encouraging words. You know, we're aware that some of our uh, some of our messages come across in a in a different format than you may be used to. Habitat management from right here at Atlanta Legacy doesn't fit within the mold of of a lot of other. Uh, of a lot of other kind of management or what you may have heard in the past. And so uh, we're going to continue preaching what we believe is is true, 100% health of the land recommendations. And uh, hopefully you guys will continue to join us each week. But here's an, a request from us. Please share it with a new friend that may have never heard of this podcast. Maybe they're a new landowner and you think, maybe I'm going to get them off on the right foot. Share this podcast with them um, and help them start to learn about big picture, holistic management practices for your landscape or your farm. Absolutely. And please come out and see us at some of these uh, events coming up. We are, we're, we're definitely excited about those. Um, and we'll be hitting the road here again very, very soon. Um, 
what else we got we got coming up um kansas oklahoma iowa and nebraska i think uh for the next next couple of weeks is, is where we're going to be so maybe yeah we'll that's be just in your the next two the weeks yeah um adding a couple new states this spring yeah um returning to a couple states this spring pennsylvania ohio headed to north central ohio um cleveland area this spring um so if anybody's Maryland, listening again, in, in uh cleveland area give us an email at info at land tv or go to our Probably the best way, go to our website, check at the consultation tab, and fill out the information at the bottom. Matt, you said you're going to be in Maryland and Virginia, so anybody in yep. that part of the world, shoot us an email if you're interested. Once again, guys, virtual property evaluations coming to you. Much more, or not much more, but more affordable. Um, less than a $1,000 consultation that we can help you um, by looking through photos, looking at aerial images, and help you on your farm um, that don't require us to travel and stay the night and be away from our families. Uh, what else we got? Where else are we going to be? I think Kyle We're is going to be, be down in the southeast. Kyler yep. Frank. Also Minnesota. Yep. Minnesota. Alabama and Georgia. Oklahoma. Kentucky. Tennessee, all oh, over. Yeah, don't ask. <laughs> I shouldn't say Road that, Warriors. but NWTF, we're going to be in Nashville, but then we've got four yep. consultations lined up after that. So. It's going to be a fun time, guys. We're going to yeah. be bringing you a bunch of updates. Um, we'll try to get out as many videos as we can on yep. the YouTube channel to kind of document what it is we're seeing so when we reference something through the podcast, you guys can kind of go back to the YouTube channel, um, subscribe, and watch what we're doing when we're actually out on these properties, how we're evaluate the, evaluating them, what we may be seeing, and giving some some helpful tips there. Um, so, man, appreciate it, guys. Hope you join us again. Yeah.